Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. I want to ask you a question. Has there ever been a time where you received a Christmas gift that was so big that you knew that you didn't deserve it. Like, like you were like, I don't even know how this person could afford it, much less I definitely don't deserve all this incredible gifts that I'm getting. I, I don't know how you were, but for me, that's, man, I, I remember feeling like that growing up. I remember just being overwhelmed with gifts from my parents. And then it was like, then my grandparents would be like, oh yeah, well watch this. And then my grandparents would just trump them. And I remember just this feeling like, man, I don't, I, I knew at a young age, I don't deserve all these gifts. I remember being overwhelmed with gratitude. Or maybe it's not gifts. Maybe it's, if you're a student, maybe it's like a grade. You're like, man, I know I didn't study and somehow God gave me favor and I got a better grade. Or maybe it's a relationship. You're thinking, man, I don't deserve this relationship or him or her. Or maybe it's a job or a promotion, but you're just overwhelmed with the kindness of God. And maybe you're coming into this Christmas season just with an overly grateful spirit of the kindness of God. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you're a little bit more like in Bill Murray Scrooged. If you've not seen Bill Murray Scrooge, Bill Murray is thinking back when he was four years old. It's Christmas. His dad comes in from a meat factory. He, he looks like he's all bloody. He looks like he's some type of butcher. And he throws a package down in front of the four-year-old Francis. And he says, Merry Christmas. Francis gets all excited. He says, is it a choo-choo? And the dad looks at him like he's crazy. No, it's five pounds of veal. Francis, somebody likes veal. Somebody's cheering. And Francis said, but I wanted a choo-choo. And the dad just is like, well, then get a job. And you can see the disappointment on this four-year-old in this humorous moment. And I don't know which you're coming into the Christmas season. Maybe you're carrying disappointment or maybe you're carrying an overwhelming, grateful spirit. But as we look in uh, Luke chapter two, we're going to see that, that out of the two of those, there is an overwhelming goodness of God's grace on full display. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Luke chapter two. Luke's in the New Testament. It's one of the gospels. Luke chapter two, one of the most famous ways of recounting the story of the birth of Jesus. And I want to walk through Luke two, verse one, two, and three. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. We're going to have it on the screen. It says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a, a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So just right off the bat, what we have is we have a story of the haves and the have-nots. You see, uh, Caesar is on a throne and then Q is the governor. And, and, and together, they are the haves, and they have a lavish lifestyle. And what they do is, many of us have experienced this. Anytime we have a lot, if we have lust for more, it can never be enough. And they just want more and more and more. And who supplies that? The have-nots. And so they issue this census. It'd be like it's like taking roll car, but or roll call, and, and you need to go check in with a shady IRS guy so that they can collect your taxes. That's what's taking place here. So we know who the haves are. Who are the have-nots? The have-nots are Mary and Joseph, the mom and dad of Jesus, as well as, in this story, the shepherds. Those are the three different 
groups of people that are the have-nots. Joseph, the father of Jesus, in order to go and register, he's a day laborer. He ends up having to walk his pregnant fiance 70 miles. And there's a chance that they walked the entire thing. Best case scenario, maybe, maybe Mary rode a donkey. Maybe. That's best case scenario. Now listen, I've never been pregnant. And I, I'm very nervous of what I'm about to say, okay? But it doesn't look comfortable. And I can't imagine the best case scenario if you're pregnant would be to ride a donkey 70 miles. Pregnant, that's best case scenario. So you're talking, that's best case. This is a long, difficult journey. And when you know what's at the end of the journey, it makes it even hard. We're just going so that we could pay more taxes. That's what's taking place in this story. And that's what's happening with Mary and Joseph. And then we pick up in verse seven. You see, what happens is Mary's water breaks. In verse seven, it says this. She wrapped him, Jesus, in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. We're just going to pause right there. Jesus, the God of the universe, could have been born in the nicest Winnie Palmer Hospital or the biggest mansion or wherever. I mean, he could have been born anywhere and he comes born in a manger. We've not seen humility rivaled like that of Jesus anytime before or anytime since. And I love what D.L. Moody says. He points out Jesus walked by the mansions and went to the manger so that he might sympathize with the lowly. I love that. You see, the birth of Jesus was Jesus's first steps towards the cross. Matter of fact, another way of saying it would be this. The Christmas story is the most extravagant hand-delivered invitation our world has ever known. Like, think about that. It's the most extravagant hand-delivered it wasn't by email. He didn't scream it from heaven. Hey, here, this is what you need to do. It was a, that's why he came to hand deliver an invitation, the greatest invitation our world has ever known to you and to me. I want you to think about some great hand delivered invitations. Maybe, maybe you would think when, when I think about that, maybe you would think of getting a check like this from Publishers Clearinghouse. You know, this is a extravagant hand-delivered gift, or maybe it's a hand-delivered. Somebody comes to your house from, from the White House, and they say, you have an invitation to have dinner with the president. Now, before you get all political, your favorite president, whoever that might be, okay? Everybody just calm down, okay? Or, or maybe, maybe a great hand-delivered extravagant invitation would be kind of like what I did on December 27th. 2000, when I got down on one knee and I begged and I pleaded and I overpromised the most incredible woman I've ever met, my wife TJ, got down on one knee and I, I proposed. And I, I gave her an invitation to spend the rest of her life with me, an invitation that I would give of myself the rest of my life to her. Those three hand-delivered invitations are great. But if you combine all of them, they're still nothing. They're nothing compared to the extravagant hand-delivered invitation that Jesus gave us through the birth 
in a manger. It goes on. During the birth, what takes place is it says in some nearby uh, kind of hills, there are some shepherds and an angel appears to the shepherds. And this is what the says in Luke 2, 16 through 18. It says this, right after the angel tells them of the news that the Messiah has been born, it says, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And so you have a couple different illustrations of the haves and the have nots. And there's three things I want us to take away from Luke 2. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, you could jot this down. Embrace his grace. First thing we learn from the story of Christ is embrace his grace. And some of you are like, well, what are you talking about? Wouldn't it be foolish not to embrace the grace of Christ? Yes, I did that for a long time, a a very big part of my life. Many of us have done that time and time again. And not just in the past, I, I, I forget to embrace his grace almost weekly or monthly. It reminds me of the movie, The Grinch. Jim Carrey's The Grinch. And Cindy Lou Who. We got Cindy Lou Who coming in. And what she wants to do is she wants to hand deliver an extravagant invitation to The Grinch. And what she does is she does it because she sees something in the Grinch that the Grinch doesn't even see in himself. And so she wants to make him the holiday cheermeister. It's just hard to say that holiday cheermeister and not smile. And she wants to make him the holiday cheermeister. But here's the deal. The Grinch is struggling to embrace the grace. You see, the Grinch has past pain and he has future fears. And those past pains and future fears make him reject the grace that's at his doorstep. And I think we do that a lot of times. And my prayer would be that you would not allow your insecurities of either the past or the future to reject the grace and the love of Jesus. But instead that you and I would learn to embrace the grace. The shepherds, they were not at the top of the org chart. As a matter of fact, they were closer to the bottom. At the very bottom of the org chart would be beggars, would be lepers, people with diseases, and prostitutes. Those would be the people at the very, very bottom of the org chart. And then just above them would be shepherds. And it's not that they were just shepherds. These are people working the night shift. So like they didn't even get the best of the shift. And it's not even they're working a night shift and they're shepherds. They're out in the middle of nowhere. Like, I don't know if you've ever been there. You're like, God, do you even see me? Like, am I, if what I'm doing, is, does it even matter? Like, what is, what is all this about? And I got to imagine on a bad day, the shepherds would have had that same disposition. You have the story of the haves and the have nots. But this is what I love about Jesus. He flips everything upside down. You see, the org chart looks a lot different in the kingdom of God than it does for you or me. I don't know if there's ever been a time that you thought you were overlooked. Maybe you thought you're too small. You're not educated enough. You're, you're not qualified enough. You don't have that zip code, whatever it is. The good news is God loves to use people that don't check all those boxes. This is what I know. You don't get your value from Zillow. You don't get your value from Instagram numbers. You don't get your value from titles. You don't get your value from a zip code. You get your value from God. And this is what God said about the value. And Pastor Jeremy said it brilliantly earlier in our worship setup. God loves you so much, loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, 
Jesus to die for you. Not assuming that you would be good, knowing we would be bad. It's in our sin that he sees us and still made his way to the cross. That's your value. That's your worth. And the world wants to tell you something else, but God says, I'm going to flip everything upside down. The world says shepherds on the bottom of the org chart, but God says, not in my house. I'm actually going to flip it. And I want to walk you through several different verses. I'm going to read these. And then I want you to kind of respond who the hero in these verses is. This first one's a couple uh, verses long. This is found in first Samuel when they are getting David to be king. They're nominating David to be king right before he fights Goliath. This is what it says. The Lord said to Samuel, I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of the sons to be king. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at, where did he arrive? Come on, you can't make this up. He arrived at Bethlehem. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. And all us ugly short people said, amen. <laughs> we can be real. Come on. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So, so he asked Jesse, are all these sons, are these all the sons you have? He said, no, they're still the youngest. Jesse answered, he's tending sheep, meaning he's a shepherd. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit until he arrives. So here's the question. Who did God choose? A shepherd. Let's go to the next one. John 10, 11 it says this, this is God speaking. I am the good, what? Shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So who's the hero in this passage? John 10, 14, I'm the good shepherd again. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. In this passage, who's the hero? Shepherd. Hebrews 13, 20, now, now may the God of peace, who, who though the, through the blood of uh, the eternal covenant brought back the, uh, from the dead of our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. Who's the hero in this passage? Shepherd. Last one, 1 Peter 2, 25, says, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Who's the hero in this passage? You see what, you see what just happened? You see the org chart, the way the world looks, the shepherds are here. God comes on the scene and he flips it upside down and all the metaphors in scripture, when it refers to a shepherd, it's not that they're here. God puts them here. And maybe you're looking at life and you're thinking, man, I'm here. The world says I'm here. The world may despise you but God esteems you. The world might think you're down here, but in the arms and the hands and the grace of God, he flips the org chart. And maybe you're thinking, man, I'm just a, a shepherd in the, in the middle of nowhere working a night shift. Does God even care? I feel like the lowly. I feel like the outcast. I feel like I don't even fit in. I don't even know if I belong. And what I just want to tell you is, is everybody's welcome in the kingdom. And not only is everybody welcome, if you fit or check any of those marks that you think you're not good enough, those, when I read scripture, those seem to be some of God's favorite people to use. Now, I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. That I think explains why Jesus prioritized children. He honored widows and he handpicked fishermen. He's flipping the work chart upside down. So the first thing I want to encourage you to do is embrace his grace. Don't look at yourself. The world might look at you. Look at yourself through the filter of Jesus. And he says, you are worthy. The second thing is this. Know God's grace is for everyone. 
No God's grace is for everyone. John 10, 16, I love this. He says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now, I just want you to know, Journey, we're gonna be a church that when we gather, we're excited and we wanna encourage and we wanna stack hands and we wanna lift up the name of Jesus. But every time we gather, we wanna be aware that there's an empty seat at the table. There are lost sheep that don't know the hope and the glory of Jesus. And we want to be mindful of that one lost sheep. And we want to go and tell them about the grace and the goodness of God. We're looking at this series, Signs of Christmas. And what I would say is this, is this is the sign that everybody's welcome. It's one of the things we say around here is everybody's welcome. And this is what I want to, I want to encourage you. We say this idea that everybody's welcome. That may not work. There you go. We, we say this idea that everybody's welcome. But let me ask you, how does everybody know that? How does everybody know that they're welcome? We cannot assume that the world just knows they're welcome. Here's the deal. If people don't feel welcomed in your world, they're not going to assume they're welcomed in his kingdom. You understand that? And most of the time when I talk to unchurched people, their struggle is they don't feel like they will be welcomed in church because the church is too judgmental, because they don't understand how much sin I have. They don't understand this. They don't understand that. They want me to clean up, then come to church. And what we get to say is, no, 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 no. Not a journey. Everybody's welcome. Because if you knew me, if you knew the mess I was, you would understand everybody's welcome. But here's the deal. We can't assume that they know that. We have to socially and verbally tell people that they are welcome in our life. And when they know they're welcome in our life, they're going to know they're welcome in his kingdom. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? So how do we make people feel welcome? How do we make sure? I mean, we live in the hospitality uh, uh, mecca of the world, so to speak. I mean, uh, Disney and, and the theme parks, they've got hospitality down the hotels. We live in this tourism industry. And I just think they should not, they should be down here and the church should be up here when it comes to hospitality. So when you show up to church, I know the, the natural gravitational pull is to show up thinking about you, 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 you. What do I want? What songs? What am I getting out of it? Do I feel like going? My encouragement is to show up to church thinking about others. Hey, do you have a seat? Why don't you sit next to me? How, how about this? I know this is going to sound to some of y'all, this might sound weird and even creepy. Just smile. Like some of y'all, <laughs> seriously, some of y'all gave your lives to Jesus from here down. And what I want to do is I want to share the gospel with this area, like to you. Like I love in the movie Elf, right? I love, I love when, when somebody says, why are you smiling all the time? And he says, smiling's my favorite. Now I, I love this. Smiling's my favorite. Now this smile, that could be a little creepy. Okay. But seriously, when I'm talking about smiling, we're talking about this with, with our kids. I was talking about this with my daughter a couple weeks ago. We don't smile to be fake. We smile because there is a genuine God that lives inside us. We can't contain the smile. Like we can't contain the joy, the peace that passes all understanding. When we sit and we abide with the God of the universe, a smile just comes out. It's not that we're fake. It's not that we have to try to smile. It's that there is something good in us that we cannot or don't want to contain. And when people come and they see a church that looks gloom and doom, they're like, man, I don't want to have anything to do with that. But when they see a church that in the midst of chaos, 
They can just say, God is good. So man, God is so kind in the midst of their trials. They go, okay, that's a group of people I want to be around. How do we make people feel welcome? We just, we just smile. One of the ways that, another way that we make people feel welcome, I want to imagine this. If somebody were to show up at your house, how would you make them feel welcome? One of the things you would do is you would open them, a, uh, you would open the door and then you would offer them a seat in your house, right? Like that's what we want to do as a church. We get new people come and we want to open the doors and offer them a seat. Well, here's, here's the struggle. We don't have a lot of seats left. So we want to offer people a seat, but I don't know if you know this specifically at Apopka, if you have a family of four or five or six and you come on time or even a little bit late, it's going to be hard to find a place for your entire family to sit. And so what we began doing uh, several months back is we said, well, that's not okay. We need to make people feel welcome. So what we're going to do February 5th is we're going to launch a third service at our Apopka campus. Why are we doing that? Because we don't want anybody to not feel like they're welcome at church. And so on February 5th, we're going to actually change service times both at Lake County and uh, at our Apopka campus. At Lake County, our new service times are going to be 930 and 11. And all this is going to be on February 5th. When is this going to happen? Now, listen, I know you said that. I know you said that. Somebody's showing up at 830 next week, and I love your energy. Love your energy. February 5th, 830, 10, and 1130. This is what I'm praying for. I'm praying for 300 missionaries. I'm praying for 300 missionaries for six months to attend the 830 service. And here's what I believe. I believe this with all my heart. If we free up seats at the other two services, I believe God's going to fill them. And what we want to do is we want to open up those seats. So I'm asking for missionaries. I'm not asking you to go to Africa. I'm asking you to attend 830. Some of you are like, I'd rather go to Africa. (laughs) You're like, pastor, I can't give you both. I can't give you a smile and be there at 830. You got to choose. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Some of you, you can smile at 8.30. Would you pray about coming at, at the 8.30 service and just seeing what God might do? Third thing we want to see take place after reading Luke 2 is this. We are messengers of his grace. We want to embrace the grace. We want to understand that grace is for everybody. But guess what? You and I are the messengers. Let's look at uh, Luke 2, 17 and 18. It says, when they, the shepherds, had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told, told them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So they saw Jesus and the shepherds took off and told everybody and everybody was amazed. That's our, that's our job description, according to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, that we get amazed by Jesus first, and then we go and we tell everybody, and guess what? They're amazed. You know, there was a time that I didn't know or love Jesus like I did, I do now, and somebody told me about Jesus, and I've been changed for the rest of my life. Think about that. There was a time when I didn't know somebody told me, and I was amazed, and it changed my entire family and family tree. That's the power we have as messengers that we would go and tell the goodness of our Jesus. I love how this was on display just this past week. Our student ministry went to Wakaiva High School this past week to serve with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And what they did is they went and on Monday, they passed out Gatorades. And then on Tuesday, they, had, uh, they just came alongside the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and they served them. And this is some of the people, and I'm telling you, I believe those 120 students that they got to go and help be a part of just serving and connecting right here, just two miles up the road. I love that. 
What is the student ministry doing? They are going and being messengers and saying, hey, listen, everybody's welcome and let's embrace the grace. So my prayer for us is that we would go this Christmas season, that you would give yourself grace, that you would embrace the Christ and the grace that Christ has for you. That no matter what the world says, no matter what your sin resume says, that the whole point of Jesus coming was that you would embrace the grace and then that we would be messengers of that grace. More people will say yes to an invitation to Christmas Eve this, this year than any other time in the, in the calendar year. And that's why when you came in, you received one of these. It's got our Christmas Eve service, our new service time, some other details on that. I wanna encourage you, would you prayfully consider who you can invite? Let me pray for you. God, I, um, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here right now and they are, um, I've talked to so many people that have such a hard time receiving your grace. They're like, yeah, 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 Dustin, I understand that, but you don't understand what I've done. And then I just get to say, yeah, 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 yeah. You don't understand what my Jesus has done. The whole point of you coming to earth was to extend grace. Would you help us not to reject it? Would you help us to embrace your grace? Would you help us to be a church that screams to the community that everybody is welcome, regardless of whatever they may think? Would you help us to verbally and socially and spiritually show hospitality to people so that they know that they are welcome in church? And God, as we plan and prepare on February 5th to, to launch a third service at Apopka, we ask for your hand and your favor. Would you bring 300 missionaries? And then would you fill those empty seats with people that need to hear, want to hear the greatest story ever told? And God, would you help us to be like the shepherds that after they heard, they just took off and people were amazed. God, we're so thankful. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible.